Hello everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse, right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's premier home for student-run radio since 1971. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside my color man, and eventually joined by Alex Husting, and perhaps Jacob Hillman calling in. We'll just see. We'd like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from across the Auburn, Auburn Opelika Megaplex and around the world, however you may be joining us today, whether that be from your terrestrial radio antenna, through the information superhighway at WEGLFM.com, or tuning in after the fact on Transistor.FM, wherever you get your podcasts, or Eagle ITV. We are happy to have you here in the booth with us for Auburn's only student-run radio drive time morning show and now we are broadcasting live from the bradley basin wegl studios in the bowels of the harold melton student center on the campus of auburn university where it is a lovely 71 and partly cloudy this fine monday morning welcome to compact discourse we wish you a most sincere good morning however you are joining us today davis how are you feeling about this new fresh week this new monday morning It's going to be a little rainy this week, from what I've heard. So I'm kind of neutral to that. I do like rain. But at some point, you got to get some sun in there. But it felt good walking here. It didn't rain on me. So I'm looking forward to this week. It's going to be a busy one for me, though. That's right, yeah. Looking at rain as the uh, tropical storm season continues to roll on into the early autumn. At this point, I would like to remind our audience that if any point in the next two hours you feel so inclined to ask a question, drop a hot take, or in the highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you want to correct us, go ahead and call in at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-9345. W-E-G-L on your touchtone keypad. You can also shoot us a tweet at cdiscau, that's C-D-I-S-C-A-U, and our dedicated team of call screeners will handle your inquiry. Uh, I think that's me today. So we are going to get right into the show And uh, just give you a preview of what we're going to be talking about on this fine Monday morning. Of course, addressing the elephant in the room, Auburn football did make the trip up to Happy Valley to Pennsylvania to take on the Penn State Nittany Lions, where they came away uh, unsuccessful in their attempt to knock off the Lions' top 10 team. But there is still plenty to talk about regarding that. And then also, Jack Hart and Jacob Hillman made the trip up there with the team. So I'm sure there are plenty of stories and excitement to get to regarding that. But um, if you were listening on the radio before the show, you did hear Toto saying that love is not always on time. Um, And because we love you here at Compact Discourse, we are not always on time. So we are going to have to head to our quick break just a little bit early. When we come back, we're going to jump right into the show. Thank you for listening and being patient with us as we deal with technical difficulties. I know it's just a two-man operation right now. So Hope you are having a great morning, and we will get right back to the show after these messages. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM.
Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, WEGLFM.com, or however you are joining us today. We thank you for doing so. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll in the booth with you today for another exciting episode. The show must go on. As you know, uh, you may hear a little, uh, a little horse, a pony, if you will, in my voice um, as I spent the last weekend... Uh, Drinking energy drinks, screaming, and staying awake, and that's not particularly good for your pipes. If uh, if you can elaborate on that, Davis. Yeah, I mean, screaming's obviously not good for it, but the little known thing that's not good for it is staying up really late. I don't know if you have that issue, but if I stay up really late, I have the issue of staying up late. But like, if I stay up really late, like if I'm like really tired, my voice will start to go hoarse. Is that an issue you've ever had? I'll say that when I stay up late, I'm not doing a lot of talking. So I don't have a great sample size. I, but I remember that when I went when we went to Disney for my senior year class trip, like I was up to like one a.m., two a.m. a few times, and like when I'm up that late, my horse just dis- my my voice just gets like really deep and then it disappears. I don't know what the scientific reason for it is, but it's my body telling me to go to sleep. Is it's how like I an see unconventional it. superpower. Yeah, if you could have any superpower that wasn't really like a superpower, what would yours be? Like you can't fly or anything like that. Maybe I could tolerate eating any kind of food. That's a lame superpower. What? I would have said speak any language. Uh, okay. Or every well, language. I don't know. Well, you, you set the bar with my voice gets hoarse when I stay up <laughs> okay, late. That's fair, so, that's fair. I mean, I think that's cooler than that. That is, yeah, it is cooler than that. All right, Davis. So did you have a Did you have a fabulous weekend? It was a pretty good weekend. Uh, I had to broadcast a game, which actually went really well. Volleyball won beat Belmont, the Belmont Bruins. They got to watch the football game. And then yesterday, really did nothing. Just got some work done. And that's what Sunday's all about, getting work done. All right, so, yeah, we are going to jump right into it. Um, I assume we will have some more discourse to get to uh, when Alex arrives later in the show. But I just want to get your initial reaction to, of course, the Auburn-Penn State game that uh, I know we all watched on Saturday and uh, I hope you were as entertained by that as I was. I was going so crazy in my friend's apartment, I'm sure we would have gotten a noise complaint if the neighbors weren't also going crazy. I will say uh, it was a good game. Auburn stayed in it through the thick and thin. We There was a lot of issues on Auburn's side, but there's a lot of good things on Auburn's side as well. What I think Brian Harsh's quote about is not good enough to like play a good game, you should win. Did you see that quote? I did not. I, you know what? I've been kind of in a media bubble. Yeah, it was basically he was basically saying people, you know, like the Auburn mindset. Oh, at least we played well, so it was a good game. Brian Hart's like, that's not good enough. We need to win next time, which I appreciate because I'm a big proponent of you should win. You, if you have a good game and lose, winning is still better than that, obviously. But you get what I mean. But one of my friends said this game doesn't matter because it's Penn State, but I feel like it does matter because they're the number ten team in, team in the nation. And we didn't show up like we should have. We didn't win like we should have. I think we we had multiple chances to win near the end of the game, and we blew it. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I think there are arguments to be made that Penn State played down to competition. There's arguments to be made that Penn State is overrated at present. And I I think this this game is going to either, you know, age like wine or age like milk, depending on how Penn State performs for the rest of the season. I think Penn State does kind of have a positive 
outlook for the season. They played well, but I think that they might be just a tad overrated. They've played well, and in what appears to be a down year for Ohio State, they have an opportunity to make some real noise in the Big Ten, I would say. I, Yeah, for sure. Oh, I want Ohio State to be good again. I'll say it. I like when Ohio State's good. Again? So, like, pre-2012, you want to go back? Yes. I mean, like, I guess, like, Zeke Elliott days. good. Okay. Fair enough. I, that's when I was really watching him when I was younger. I was a big Zeke Elliott fan. Ezekiel Elliott, but that's beside the point. Do you think Penn State's overrated? I I think they're good, but I'm not sure if number 10 good. I'm sure they're going to go up after the game on Saturday. I think maybe 11 to 13 to 15 good. They're absolutely a top 25 team, but I think the only reason that they are, we're, we're ranked 10 on Saturday is because they were undefeated and their name is Penn State. That's fair. It's happy about It was the whiteout. Do you think the whiteout had anything to do with Auburn's loss? I think it it contributed. Well, yeah, I, it contributed. But do you think like Penn State will like to I, think that the whiteout is the reason we lost? I, no, I, I think if that game was not a whiteout, if it was just a normal Penn State road game, I think Auburn the same same result. I, I didn't see any time that the offense was disheveled or called a timeout because they couldn't hear or. And honestly, it's at some points. I was very surprised, um, we can get to this later, of just about the atmosphere in, in Penn State, but at some points towards the end of the game, especially when Auburn was driving to win, between plays, it, it, I mean, it got pretty quiet. Interesting. I was expecting a pretty raucous, I mean, I know it's hard to sustain a level of noise for an entire offensive drive, but, you know, game on the line, I was expecting a little more out of uh, Penn State. There, I mean, I may, maybe my perception's off. Uh, people are asking me to compare it to other SEC venues, LSU and Florida. But um, of course, I was up in the upper deck as I have been for all of the uh, the venues. So it, it's kind of hard for me to gauge the noise level on the field. But however, there was a, I mean, it was a, a spectacle nonetheless. So I, I do think as far as far as uh, whether or not Auburn should have won this game. I feel like in, in typical Auburn fashion, they uh, went up there and put on a performance they can be proud of against a, a, a team they weren't really supposed to beat, but they they played above their means to the end that you would expect them. It's not as if they got outplayed and lost. It's sort of a, a beat-themselves type of mentality. I Yeah. So I think the two biggest plays that people are going to point back to this game is obviously the Kobe Hudson fumble and then the the fade, the fade they ran, fourth down, that people are saying should be a pass interference, but both threw it so far out the back of the end zone, it was uncatchable anyway. That was my biggest issue with that play. I think it could have worked if it was in – we could have got a pass interference at the least if it was in a catchable position. And uh, I think Alex is outside – Okay. You, want, you want me to bring him in? Yeah, just wave him in. Come on in, Alex. We are happy to have you on the show today. We are joined by Alex Houston, of course, co-sports director of WEGL. I know he's coming in hot with some takes about this, this Penn State-Auburn game. So uh, we will get to that in just a little bit as he gets set up. But I will say that um, the two things that I've been noticing about uh, what Auburn did on Saturday was there was there were – execution issues but there were also play calling issues 
And I think that you have to separate those into two buckets and analyze them independently of one another. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, and I'm going to formally welcome Alex into the show now as he has, has sat down. So welcome, Alex. It's um, wonderful to have you on Compact Discourse this morning. How are you feeling about this weekend at large, not just the game? I mean, you know, I went into the weekend pretty positive. Washington got that win on Thursday. But then I knew if Washington had a good week, Auburn was not going to. I don't think I've ever had them win simultaneously before, so that was rather unfortunate. But, I mean, I came out of it with, I would say, you know, not as doom and gloom as a lot of people. It's kind of a let's wait and see because, you know, I don't know if one game is a fair indictment on the coaching staff and the team. Because I think the problem with Gus Malzahn was not the fact that he didn't have great moments. He had it in 2017, 2013, so on and so forth. The problem was the fact that no matter what they did, the team never seemed to figure out how to win on the road. They did the same thing and made the same mistakes over and over and over again. 2016 Georgia and 2017 LSU were the same problems, essentially, just in different ways. And I think that's the question right now is, you know, Will this will the coaching staff, in terms of play calling specifically, because I think team issues is a whole other thing, but in terms of the play calling problem, will they, you know, learn from this game and adapt? For example, the next time it's fourth and two on the goal line, and you have Tank Bigsby in the backfield, will you just say, "Hey, we have an offensive line that's a veteran, that's you know very experienced. You've got probably the best running back in college football. Will you just run at the middle?" Now, if, that, if, that, if this consistently keeps happening, mistakes like that, running a trick play at the beginning of the second half, which I thought was a bit bizarre, then maybe it's a bit more, you know, a bit more concerned. But right now, I mean, I think it checks out where this is going to be, you know, we're going to see if the coaching staff can adapt and the team itself can grow from this. Because if, I mean, if the same problems present themselves against LSU, against Alabama, against Georgia, and against A&M, I feel like that's where the issue will start to really become an actual problem rather than just... They lost one game in one of the most hostile environments in college football against a good Penn State team. So I didn't hate the the trick play call. I think if it if he hadn't have fumbled, it would have either been like a two yard loss, or maybe he could have run it to get a positive gain. Or if it had worked as intended, it would have been a big gain or even a touchdown. Now I don't dislike I don't dislike a trick play here and there. For example, the trick play to Jaquez Hunter back in the four, in the fourth quarter, which eventually led to the hurdle, which was a great trick play, by the way. Um, I dislike doing it without trying anything else. For example, the fact of the matter is, Penn State could not stop Tank. They didn't. The whole the whole night. Like, when he got the ball, he got three yards, at least. Like, in that, and the fact that they didn't, you know, like, if they had started out that drive, given it to Tank, got to about the 50, and then whip out the trick play when Penn State's not, and even, even then, like, you know, as I'm watching that play, or that play unfold, Penn State's cornerback, who was covering the guy Kobe Hudson was supposed to go to, like backed off of him. He was doing press man coverage, and he backed off like he saw something indicating that's where the play was going to go. I'm not sure it was indicating the trick play, but the point is is that the one option, the corner did exactly what he's supposed to do to cover that trick play to where not necessarily have Bo audible out of that, but I, I think there needs to be a, okay, we're going to be doing a jet sweep pass where there's only one option for Kobe Hudson to throw it to, and the cornerback has backed off 15 yards, then maybe... Calling a timeout at the beginning of the half is also a bad idea, but then again, fumbling it in your own re- in the red zone, your own red zone for that matter, is a bad idea too. So, 
All right. Well, we are talking Auburn and Penn State here on Compact Discourse this morning, joined by Alex and Davis. Hope you're having a fabulous Monday morning. Hope you are warm and dry wherever you are listening to us today. Don't go anywhere. We've still got plenty of Auburn and Penn State discussion to get to after a break. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1, WeagleFM.com, TV, and YouTube.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in about two minutes after these PSAs. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart. As always, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll, welcoming you into the show. If you want to call in, you can do so at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-WEGL. If lines are busy, please try again. All right, we are continuing our discussion about Auburn and Penn State over the weekend on Saturday night. But first, got to get to your Auburn-Alabama weather report. Currently in Auburn, Alabama, it is a brisk 74 degrees, partly cloudy with a 16% chance of rain through 9 a.m. So plan accordingly. This afternoon, the rain is coming, though. We are dealing with an 80-degree temperature and scattered thunderstorms, a 66% chance of rain hitting the loveliest village on the plains this afternoon with some overnight showers as well, about a 44% chance of rain overnight. Um, Still looking at some interesting bands of rain as rain's stretching right now from the upper peninsula of Michigan all the way through the country to Tampa, Florida. So a enormous band of rain sweeping across the country right now. And we are just going to have to deal with it as the rain is here to stay for the next three or four days as the uh, hot air and the cold air of autumn trying to push its way into summer is causing a bit of turmoil. So with that, We'll jump right back into Penn State. I will say a lot of people are pointing to the fumble, and rightfully so. You basically spot Penn State a touchdown. Um, but I will say that after that fumble, I was very impressed with Auburn's resiliency to get back into the game because it would be very easy to give up at that point, and a lot of people in the fan base probably did give up at that point because I think a lot of people felt like Auburn had to play perfect to get out of there with a win, and they overcame that. They That was the only touchdown they allowed in the second half, I believe, was that uh, one from 11 yards out. And I w- No, there were two. It was There was also the one after Jacob and McLean uh, was kicked out for targeting. Right, okay. But the point still stands. Yeah. You, you, you really slowed down their offense to agree. And that was after something we'll get to later, which was a very busted play on defense. Yeah. So, uh, avoiding those mistakes, the defense, I think, stepped up. And when everyone did their job on defense, it was a pretty much a brick wall, including two two or three fourth down stops. Uh, so we'll get to that. And then so I, I, I kept bringing up that Auburn spotted Penn State a touchdown there, but everyone seems to quickly forget how Penn State dropped a pick six right before halftime. Yeah. So I'll, 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 it's very easy for me to just let the, like an equation, just have those cancel out and not worry about them because both teams made a mistake that was a was a seven point swing, and we can move on to talk about other things. Well, I mean, I, 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 I of course find that more difficult because I guess in in regards to that pick six, I think 
that was even more a mistake because of the fact that what they did is they ran the exact same play back to back and expected Penn State not to expect them to do so, which was a bit jarring to me because it was a five-yard out route to John Samuel Shanker, who was really good in uh, Saturday's game, by the way. I was very very surprised by that. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think that's certainly fair. I just, I don't know. I ha- always hesitate to open the half with a gimmicky-type play when you might as well, you know, you come out of halftime, I feel like you should have more of a game plan than, ah, yes, the jet sweep pass. But what can I say? I'm somewhat negative constantly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I used to have a show with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, I stayed positive on the show. I don't hate gimmicky plays at the beginning because I mean they're not expecting it. Just like if they're not, they're not expecting it. If you run five run plays and then hit them with it. Well, I mean, it seemed like they expected it because they covered it. Perfectly. Just because I mean that that could have happened if they ran five run plays before too. If the if the cornerback's well informed about the layout of the play, then they're gonna they're gonna make a play on it. I just don't think you need to run a trick play and let. I mean, if nothing they else didn't need wor- to, but they did. I don't think you should unless you need to. Is what I mean. Then there's what? There's like, no need to run trick plays at all. Then well, there you is, never need to no, run a you trick do, play. Yeah, you, when you run a trick play is when nothing else is working because you're like, all right, time to time to go into our bag of tricks to try and find. I like that. Defense. If he hadn't have fumbled it, you would never, you wouldn't even remember it. I mean, I still would. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I you'd would. You'd be like, oh well, it didn't work. We lost two yards. I, I and if it had worked, you'd be like, that was amazing. Best best play call I've ever seen. That's also not what I. Yes, would've. you would have. No, I would. Okay, look. Here's the thing. Here's the deal. I have an issue with the defense. I'll say it. Mm. Uh, what was his name? Sean Clifford. Yes. He only he only had like four incomplete passes. Yeah. The the defense, the secondary, they had their moments, but like on the short routes, the intermediate routes, they were really just giving up everything. Right in the middle, they'd catch it, get a few extra yards. It even then they'd just catch it and lay down, and it'd still be a first down after like third and long. I think the defense the secondary in specific, like I just said, need to really shore up on the maybe maybe lean away from the zone more into man if possible. I will or say have a mix so they not having wide open in the middle of the field. I will say that yeah, um, I'll get to you, Alex, in just a second. But in terms of halftime adjustments, Penn State was gashing Auburn on bootleg routes for the entire first half, and that pretty much stopped completely in the second. So I, I think. Changes were made defensively, which was another problem under the Malzahn regime, was it seemed that nothing changed at halftime. But I think this team came out completely differently in halftime uh, and and made adjustments there. But a lot of room for improvement. The defensive line got n- almost no pressure on Clifford for the entire game. He had a lot, of, a lot of plays that could have been completely blown up. He was given 10, 10 seconds to pass and found somebody get open As, when, when you're dealing with a kind of lackluster defensive back core like Auburn has. And then another thing I'll say there is that right before halftime when Sean Clifford does throw that long bomb interception, yes, it was a bit of an arm punt, but at the same time, the first time you put any kind of pressure on him all game, he panics and throws an interception. And the fact that you couldn't ever get another opportunity like that for the rest of the game, is it's very underwhelming to see the defensive line p- play so underwhelmingly. Yeah, it was interesting to me because the D line in terms of run run stopping was perfect. I mean, there was an I mean, it took it would take Penn State up to three to four times on the goal line to gain just two yards, which by that point, you know, you're asking a lot to keep a team out of the end zone when they're two yards away. In most cases, 
you don't get a four-play goal line stand from the two. You don't. But they still played well in that. In regards to the pass rush, it was a very odd defensive game plan for me because the game plan that the defense was seeming to run was they were going to never rush more than four and play zone the entire time, which counts on your defensive line to generate pressure, which they couldn't. I'm wondering if they expected them to do that, like expect them to be able to generate pressure on their own because they clearly couldn't because what was more needed to happen was to dial up different blitz packages, which they did not do. Even that Zacob- that that Sean Clifford hit that was an interception was because Zacoby McLean was playing a quarterback spy and decided, forget it, I'm just going to run up the middle and sack the quarterback, which he did a couple times that night. There were a couple times where he got in the in the backfield because he just said, forget bl- playing the quarterback sky. Clifford's not go- spy. Clifford's not going to run. I'm just going to go and attack the quarterback. It was just a very odd game plan because – it is a game plan that Auburn could get away with in the past, say 2017 when your front four was as good as it was, but right now it's not. So I don't know why you would play that type of style. And it's the same style they kind of played last year. Where it's like, all right, we've got guys who are going to rush the quarterback, just these four guys, but they're not good enough to win one-on-one matchups. You know, it's not a great front four. In terms of run, run stopping, yeah, a bit better. But in terms of rushing the passer, not at all. And I thought that was just an interesting and – Frankly, odd game plan from Derek Mason, but again, we'll see. We'll see how it adjusts in, in the remainder of the season in that regard. How did you feel about? I believe there were two or three plays that were complete busted assignments. Yeah, uh, maybe the the lesser of which was Smoke Monday in the first quarter, um, just getting missing his assignments down downfield and allowing big passing plays, and then. The other being uh, number ten, Penn State's running back. Not sure who that is. Uh, getting completely unpicked up off the line and streaking a seam route for probably a thirty-yard catch that went for a touchdown or ended up going for a touchdown. I think that points to the fact that maybe the game plan was not so bad, and the fact that the defense just didn't know how to run the zone that Derek Mason was trying to run. Because in those cases, they weren't where they were supposed to be. And that was the most obvious, right? Because there wasn't anybody within 30 yards. I think the most obvious was the touchdown where the guy was wide open in the corner of the end zone. Exactly, yeah. Like, so, I mean. I think that was also Smoke Monday. I think that was the, that's the same drive where he got yeah. burned down the right side. Smoke Monday may have the best name on the team. He might be the worst defender on the team. That's I just, think he's better He's better at man. That's that's what he's better at. I, I, I actually Zone's th- hard to do I, if you don't know your position. I actually disagree with that strictly because of the fact that he's very slow. Like he's not he's not quick enough to stay with most guys in coverage. And put him at safety. The, he he is a safety. I mean, like a like a yes, not like he, a zone safety. He sh- they should probably run man with him just roaming and hitting whoever comes across the middle. That's correct, but they haven't run that's, that yet. Thank you. That's what I meant. Thank yes. you for not just being like you idiot. He is safety. Well, I mean, okay. Anyway, um, but like, yeah. So I think that's the that's another question is. Are we allowed to criticize Mason's game plan, or was it the fact that the defense just didn't execute the game plan? Because, again, if there's that many busted coverages, who's to say they aren't mildly busting the coverage in the middle of the game? It's just not as obvious. You know, it just they're near the guy, so maybe that's just the game plan, when in reality they were supposed to be on him and they weren't. That's another thing that's interesting to me. I don't know what... And it's interesting that they won't run as much man when you've got people like Roger McCreary, who are excellent one-on-one defenders. I think they've got the talent there. So I wonder if they'll change that up. I think it'll be interesting to see specifically against Georgia and LSU because I don't think Georgia State will put up much of a challenge to the defense no matter what. So, yeah, I just, I'm just i very interested to see where the team goes over these next four weeks. This is really going to determine how the season is. Uh, do you think maybe, or do we have to go commercial break? Say your thing. 
do you think maybe that uh, they might be trying to be cloak and dagger with their game plan, or they're just trying to test out a zone against a team that's not as doesn't have well, a mobile you can't, quarterback? Because you can't play, you can't really play zone against someone uh, against a team that can also kill you on the ground. You're gonna have to be closer to the running back, and they're gonna get big gains. They that's try, true. Maybe they try out zone against a more and you can't you can't heavy. you can't play man against a mobile quarterback. That is also so. Yeah, I mean, I think. Zone is what a lot of college defenses are leaning on to because every quarterback is mobile now. Like, everybody is. You're rarely going to – I mean, the only people that still have pocket passers is Wisconsin. So And Penn State, apparently. Well, I mean, Clifford had a couple of runs there. It's just the fact that Auburn put their two fastest linebackers and two of the fastest linebackers in the country to spy. To spy. It was Papo or it was McLean the whole game. And the one time it wasn't, it was because McLean got stuck trying to cover the running back and then Clifford ran out. So – it's inter- I, I do wonder if they'll change it up against a less mobile team, but we'll see. All right. Well, we've talked defense, so when we come back from a break, we are going to talk about that Auburn offense, whether that be from Bo Nix, Tank Bigsby, uh, or just the play calling in general. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Carr, joining alongside Davis Carroll and Alex Houston. We're talking Auburn football, of course. It is a Monday morning, so the Monday morning armchair quarterbacks are here to tell you what Auburn should have done on Saturday night in Happy Valley. I know you've got some thoughts on it, too, so go ahead and send those our way. That's 334-844-9345, or you can tweet at us at cdiscau at cdiscau. You, we'd love to hear your opinion about the game on Saturday or anything else that happened over the weekend. All right, we uh, we talked ad nauseum about the defense and uh, what Auburn has room to improve on and what they did well, but I think we would all like to talk to what has been the biggest bugbear for Auburn in the past 10 years, and that has, of course, been the offense as uh, Bo Nix continues to be focused and have fun in the pocket. All right, let's get to the offense, Alex. Bo is a lot better, I would say. A lot better on the road in this game than he's been in his career. But, you know, still he shouldn't have thrown it 37 times, but that goes more on the play calling than even when at, before the game I said Auburn should not have Bo throw more than 35 times, and they did. And I don't know why, but they did. Um, but he was a lot better on the road. You know, he had that one near pick six. Better than that, no costly mistakes. You know, a couple poor throws here and there, but it is what it is. I I think he improved a lot, and I think people are still going after him. That just means they want to be hypercritical of Bo, which I always thought people did because people enjoyed it for whatever reason. But, I mean, the fact of the reality is Auburn has two beasts at running back and a third who wasn't able to be there and will be back. And just run the ball seems to be – I mean, I like – they couldn't stop Tank, and Jarquez Hunter has the second most yards per carry in the entire nation right now, 12.2. So that was definitely a positive for me was that and the use of John Samuel Shanker as tight end. I In the Gus offense, I really thought he was – like based on what I had seen, I was like, oh, this guy's not going to be anything. He's just an H-back. He's very good. Like he was a menace on against the Penn State defense on Saturday and is definitely something I'd like to see Auburn do more of is giving him the football and getting him in space because I think 
he certainly can be a problem for opposing defenses. But I yeah. don't I don't want to have to rely on John Samuel Shanker too much. I didn't say that e- either, but I think But I, I no, I mean like yeah, we need a tight end in the offense, but I think we should be throwing to the wide receivers more. And I don't feel like they I how many receptions did John Samuel Shanker have? Uh 6, I think. He has 11 already this season, which is the most for an Auburn tight end since 2014. I just feel like I'm not saying we need to go more deep routes cuz I don't think that's Bose strong suit based on like the two or three that he threw that I really remember. I'm sure he threw more. But I feel like we I feel like we just needed to get it to the 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 wide receivers short, let them run with it, intermediate, let them get some to the sticks. I don't feel like that happens enough. Maybe I just don't remember. I have selective memory for the game. I mean, oh. I'm pulling up the stats right now if it would load. I will say as far as wide I think the wide receivers are maybe my biggest mm-hmm. uh, concern with Saturday. Um, especially Demetrius Robertson was not very impressed by him. Uh, he had a few drops, and I thought his blocking on the screens was very lackluster. I think if if Mike Bobo is going to call screens like that in crucial situations like that, you have to be more confident in your in your pass blocking and run blocking from your wide receivers. Then I thought that the tight ends and the line did a great job blocking. Yeah. Um, but as far as the if you're going to move the ball spread out as much as Auburn is wanting to do with this new offense and run to the sidelines and not cut up field and keep it on the short passes to the sidelines I think the the pat the blocking needs to improve before you consistently rely on that as a means of offense I see no problem in throwing Shanker out there as a basically blocker because I can't I think he can be a threat to where it won't be like oh he's out here so that means it's blocking but I'm not surprised with the receivers like I mean Maybe this sounds like pessimistic, but I mean, is a is a receiving group and receiving core that was recruited by Gus Malzahn and Cody Burns. So I'm not really that surprised that it's not good. Like, I I don't really know how. I mean, like that's just. I mean, how how many receivers did we see that were recruited to Auburn and were not good and then made it to the NFL, like Darius Slayton, who got exponentially better seemingly overnight once he got to a team in the NFL, right? So I'm not very surprised by it. I didn't expect. That's why I, t- I was thinking run the ball because I didn't expect the receivers to be good, and I didn't think they were. I mean, and by the way, I, I got the numbers. Schenker only had five receptions out of Bo's 21 completions. It felt like he had like 1,000. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, he was the most reliable guy, so I'm fine with that, to be honest. Again, like, I don't want to rely on the tight end, but the rest of the receiving core is not I think the biggest good. thing for the receiving core is they don't have the big-bodied – 50-50 ball guy like they do like they did with Seth Williams last year. That, that all, all the receivers are kind of slot receivers quick, route runners. I think they do have issues with drops at this moment. Maybe hopefully they can work on that, get better throughout the season. But I think we, the offense needs to look into how to use them correctly instead of sending them down deep. Hope they catch a 50-50 ball, which, I mean, like, Shed Jacks is probably the best with that. <clears throat> and he's only like, I don't even know, maybe like 6-1 is my guess. I think they need to start running more like routes where they can actually get open in space so they can have some room to work after, personally. That's I, easier said than done, of that's course. That's fair. I think they should just run the ball. <laughs> I mean, You can't run the ball all game. We're not Army. Well, I mean, people haven't stopped him yet, so until they do, I'll – I mean, Or, okay, we can run him 30 times a game and he gets hurt and then we lose tank. Well, that's why you've got – Is that what you want, Alex? That's why you've got three running backs. And it's not, it's not about – It's first of all, it's not about – 
it's it wasn't it wasn't about the amount of times that Karen was run that got injured. It was the fact that he was on the jumbotron clearly in agony in the third quarter, and the whole stadium knew it. And they ran it 15 more times. It's not about it's not about you know Look, a number of carries to get somebody I, injured. It's just noticing when they are and then taking them listen, out of the game. I'm also for more running, but you have to have a good amount of passing in there to switch it and, up. And, and they pass- did, but. I like passing. I think we need to have a good a good amount of passing. I'm not going to give a solid number, but because passing's vital, as we passing saw is at very the end of the vital. game. I just don't think that in any game, if you want Bo to be a dark horse for Heisman, he's got to no, throw it. I don't, I don't think he is, but I don't think in any game the trio of Hunter, Shivers, and Bigsby should have less carries than Bo has passing attempts. And in that case, it was close, but they did. It was 32 to 37. I mean. And it wasn't like it was 32 carries and Tank was averaging three yards a carry and Hunter was averaging two yards a carry. The, the running backs as a whole averaged 4.6 yards a carry, which included Kobe Hudson's negative 10 yards. Without it, they averaged five over five yards a carry. So maybe maybe, I, maybe I'm thinking it's too simple, but as of right now, I haven't seen anybody that can stop it. It doesn't mean run it to every play, but... What would you like the ratio to be, um, number-wise? Like, like exact numbers or like percentage? Just give me numbers around um, around a certain number. I would say sixty percent running, forty percent passing. A number, not a oh, percentage. Okay, so I would have said percentage if I want a percentage. So if they if they ran eighty plays, mm-hmm. right? If they ran eighty plays, I would say it'd be more forty five running, thirty five passing, which it was not. Okay, fair. So, again, I don't need it to be army. You should email Harson. No, no. Again, this I, I'm not pretending to be an expert. I'm just saying I, based on. That'd be that'd be funny though. You'd be like, Hello, Brian. I think you should run it more. I think this impl- this fits with our fourth and one mentality. I think you should do that. No, I'm What's not. What's the worst he's gonna do? Be like, no. The worst. The worst. The worst. Not gonna I- arrest you. The- I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. That'd be a ridiculous idea. What? What did? You- By the way, what did you guys think of the fourth and one call to kick the field goal? A lot of people seemed angry about that. I, I liked was wondering. It. Yeah. When was that? I don't even remember. Uh, it was in the third quarter. It was fourth and one, and everyone was like, why aren't you going to go for it? Was it was to make it 21 to 20. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and they yeah. They took the points. And everyone was like, just run it with Tank, but the previous play, Tank got stuffed for no gain. So like, it wasn't like a, ooh, yes, exact science. He keeps gaining six yards of carry. I thought it was fine. I don't know why people reacted so dramatically to it. I was very confident in the defense at that point, and, mm. and rightfully so. I think if it weren't for that, I can't remember if, yeah, that was the um, the number ten catching the the thirty yard yes. busted pass, which was the only thing that led to a Penn State score for the rest of the quarter, for the rest of the game, even uh, at that point. So I think if you take if you take the points there and that play doesn't happen, uh, you st- even holds Penn State to a f- that wouldn't have happened to him to a field goal. But if you stop Penn State, which they did pretty much consistently throughout the entire second half, including a, a couple fourth down stops, the defense was very clutch in that sense. And then you can come down, and at the end of the game, you don't even need that fourth and one call because you just kick a field goal and you win, twenty-three to twenty-one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I was completely at, fine with it. With how low, wow. with how low scoring that game was, you absolutely needed to take the points there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's just you know, I mean, I think it's the right call. I think you know. The thing is, here, here's how it works: is whatever, whatever the people, whatever the team gets, the people wanted the opposite. You know, it's like it. I can think back to 2019 LSU, where Auburn's in field goal range, and Gus is like, "Ah, yes, throw a fade over um, Derek Stingley, who was the best cornerback on the planet at the time." 
and Gus is like, we came to win, and I'm like, in this low-scoring game, you didn't take the field goal? Really? And I like, and this is the same thing in this. Like, if, if Auburn goes for it and doesn't get it, everybody yells that they should have kicked a field goal. Yeah. Just like if Auburn kicks field goal, they're like, oh, well, we lost by eight, so you should have sco- you should have went for the touchdown. It, it's ridiculous. I so, mean, yeah, in the moment and the and after the fact, I really, I mean, yeah, I don't, I didn't love that. That's what it came to, but I understand why you make that decision, and I think it was the correct decision, exactly, and, and a, maybe even a game winning decision if one or two things bounced differently. Exactly. I mean, I I was complete, I was completely fine with it, and I thought it was the right call. So, all right, we're gonna have to head to a quick break. But you are listening to Compact Discourse. We've talked plenty of Auburn football, so we'll get to more college football around the country, including the top 25 and some interesting matchups around the nation. All right, you're listening to Compact Discourse. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about five minutes on the other side of this break. It's already 9 a.m. We've been at it for an hour already, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, WiggleFM.com. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. We hope you're enjoying the sports edition of today's show as we do on Mondays and Thursdays. Join us tomorrow and Wednesday for the not sports edition of Compact Discourse as we talk, you know, music, lifestyle, what's going on on campus, and uh, everything else, including probably, as I'm joined by Chris Tobias and Jacob Hillman tomorrow, our trips up to Happy Valley. So interesting We'll talk about that. We had a fantastic time, win, lose, or draw. It's always great to be an Auburn Tiger. All right, so we are continuing our discussion about college football around the country. I'm Jack Hard, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll. That's co-sports director, Alex Houston, and uh, D. Davis, Davis Carroll. Oh, yes. Davis, I know you uh, You got some, some exciting some exciting additions to Weagle coming up in the, in the near future is what I hear. Today at four is the planned first show for my new hip hop show. Are you with that? D. Javis is not my official DJ. Name, it is though. absolutely his official name. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, Davis was clearly in agony and stress over making this show perfect for all of you. So I hope you tune in. I was. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was you, really. Oh my gosh, he was. He was like, "This is this is hard. Maybe it, maybe this is a bad idea." Like a, on Thursday, running a radio show is very difficult. Yes, clear. It clearly. isn't easy, but I wasn't in agony. I wasn't like. It's called toiled over. Davis. I wasn't like toiled over in pain. Sell yourself, Davis. All right, and that was a hanging slider that Davis was caught looking. That was a wonderful pitch. I think from at- Alex. All right. Uh, if you want to call into the show, that's 334-844-9345, 334-844-WEGL. If you want to get your college football opinions on the show, let's jump right into the discussion with the college top 25 scoreboard. Let's jump right into it. On Saturday, it was number 25, Michigan, over Northern Illinois, 63-10. to They ran for eight rushing touchdowns in that game. Michigan State scores 21 points in the fourth quarter to blow out Miami, 38-17 to in South Beach. It was a shootout in Chapel Hill as North Carolina hangs 59 on Virginia, 59-39. 
Brennan Armstrong, the UVA quarterback, throws four touchdowns on 54 passes. Arkansas blows out Georgia Southern 45-10. BYU defeats Arizona State 27-17 in a Pac-12 after dark matchup. The high-octane offense of Ole Miss hangs 61 on Tulane. Seven touchdowns for Matt Corral in that one. Coastal Carolina heads up to upstate New York and pulls off the victory against Buffalo 28-25. West Virginia takes some country roads to defeat Virginia Tech 27-21. Iowa State blows out UNLV 48-3. Fresno State with a big upset over at UCLA and Chip Kelly. Pac-12 in trouble early once again. 40-37 go the Bulldogs in the Rose Bowl. Notre Dame all over Purdue 27-13. Jack Cohn went 15 for 30 and two touchdowns in that one. Of course, Auburn falls to Penn State 20-28 in Happy Valley. Penn State scores a touchdown in all four quarters of that one. Ohio State has troubles early but comes out with a victory against Tulsa 41-20. Cincinnati travels up to Bloomington and defeats Indiana 38-24. Texas A&M takes care of business at home against the Lobos of New Mexico 34-0. Clemson gets a bit of a scare from the Jackets of Yellow of Georgia Tech 14-8. Iowa all over Kent State 30-7. Oregon all over Stony Brook 48-7. Oklahoma surprisingly only wins by 7 against Nebraska 23-16. Georgia handles South Carolina 40-13 at home in their conference opener. And then the game of the week, it was number one Alabama traveling down to the swamp to take on number 11 Florida. Alabama scores 21 in that first quarter, and that is enough to hang on as the Gators try to come back but fall just short. Bama comes out of the swamp with a two-point victory, 31-29. to And that is your top 25 college football scoreboard for week three. Florida State's bad. Florida State is bad. They are outside the top twenty-five, obviously. So we did not mention them. But oh, um, sorry. Yeah, I just I that goofy. was I just I just that was one of my biggest things. We can sorry. So yeah, other notable games from the weekend. Did you guys happen to catch uh, Louisville UCF on Friday night? That was about as gus of a game as it gets. I would say. unbelievable matchup. Uh, Great game though. The pair of interceptions they got thrown in the second half into the, yes. the game rather. Yes. In, in, in the waning minutes of the game, uh, electric atmosphere in uh, Papa John name redacted stadium. Did Gus get scared sometime on the way to UCF? Because he is completely gray now. He's been gray since he got down there. He, yeah. he, he's adopted the retired guy look pretty much instantly. Someone jumped out and scared him when he was driving down there. I think I think it was uh, Nick Saban sprays his hair, I must do the same kind of thing. And now that he's... He looks like he could be in a crime show set in Miami. He, he very likely might be the best coach in Florida, so I don't think there's a lot, there's not not too much stress about that right Yeesh. now. What? Crazy thing to say, Alex. I don't like Dan Mullen. I'm sorry. Uh, I, don't, I don't like him either. Yeah, All right. I, yeah, well. Other notable games outside the top 25. Kentucky approves to 3-0 and but barely hangs on against University of Tennessee Chattanooga 28-23. Western Michigan Pulls off the upset against Pitt. They win 44-41 in Heinz Field. Army blows out the hapless Yukon Huskies, 52-21. Army improves to 3-0. Minnesota travels to Folsom Field and wins 30-0. Kansas State 
uh, defeats Nevada at home, 38-17. SMU upsets uh, Louisiana Tech, 39-37, and improves to 3-0 on the season. Baylor, 45-7 over Kansas in Lawrence, as Kansas is Kansas's. The what? team, the team. For, I'm trying to the Jayhawks. The Jayhawks woes continue. Uh, USC bounces back in a big way and heads up to Pullman and blows out the Wildcat Cougars of Washington State, 45 to 14. Wake Forest all over those Knolls, 35 14. Memphis gets a big upset win over Mississippi State and improves to three and zero. They won 31 to 29. The first battle of the smart schools, Duke defeats Northwestern 32-23. Hold on. <laughs> I got it. East Carolina uh, with a what? big comeback win Don't over Marshall 42-38. to Sorry, I had a little burp. Um, <laughs> no one would have ever known. Uh, San Diego State defeats Utah, who's now 1-2 and two after starting the season in a promising fashion. San Diego State improves to 3-0 and as they win 33-31 to over the Utes. UAB blows out North Texas 40-6. to Utah State in a shootout with Air Force. They win that one 49-45. In the second battle of the smart schools, it is Stanford all over Vanderbilt 41-23. to Oklahoma State with a one-point victory over Boise State. No points scored in the second half of that one. And if you were like Jacob Hillman and you stayed up way past your bedtime on Saturday night and into Sunday morning to watch those Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii play the San Jose Spartans, you were treated to a Herculean effort by the San Jose State Spartans to defeat Hawaii 17-13. to Wow, what a game. That is your college football scoreboard games of note from week three. All right, what stood out to you guys? I know we were all kind of busy on Saturday, so maybe not a chance to to catch all the games, but did anything stick out in your mind? Did you guys watch the Bama game? I did watch the Bama game. I watched the end of it as well, yes. I watched the whole thing. Or most of it, I'd say. I watched most of it. I watched like after the first quarter when Bama was up big and then Florida started to come back. Does Bama look vulnerable? I think, I mean, Florida looked really good against them. Bama still looked dominant at times, like Bama does. But once Florida really, like, they went downfield easily, the defense was able to score in the red zone pretty well, I'd say. But they just weren't able to convert that two-point conversion. And there was, I think there was, like, I don't know if it was a pick six, but Bama did get a pick off of, Whatever the quarterback of Florida Emory name Jones? is, Emory Jones, is his name. Yeah, but yeah, I think Florida looks pretty good. Bama, as you said, maybe vulnerable. I mean, I I think they are, but you know, here's what here's what Bama's doing is, you know, Nick Saban is the master of adapting to. He took he took a little while in terms of the I guess game manager quarterbacks must stay, even though they were not very good, um, but. This is Bama now, is they are not they are not a team that's gonna have a dominating defense, but they will be able to outscore you on any given day. And that's very likely the same team that we're seeing this year. I mean, and who are they vulnerable against? You know That's what I'm worried about. They're not gonna play Georgia until the SC championship game. And that that, that troubles me because Georgia looks very strong after having a slow start to the season. 
I mean, I think I think that that is the case, but I also think uh, Kirby Smart, much like Dan Mullen, always finds a way to lose important games. So I would say that I just don't buy into the the idea that Georgia's a threat to Alabama was has been dead since 2012 to me. Like I just can't I can't really begin to just like I just don't believe Bama could actually be beaten by anybody. Any at former, this point, any former Saban coordinator? Yeah, ex- specifically any. Yes, exactly. Because like that, that has reached like mythical numbers, and the fact that he's like what twenty and zero against it's some yeah, absurd it, it, it's number. Approaching Bama's record against unranked opponents. It's right? like it's 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 an insane number, and I mean, like really, Nick Saban's only kryptonite is Auburn at home when they have nine wins, and that's like it. And I just, I don't know. I mean. I've been tricked into thinking they look vulnerable before, and then they would go and drop 70 on LSU in Death Valley, and I'd be like, oh, maybe not. So uh, it's a wait-and-seat thing. A lot of teams are vulnerable in the Swamp. The Swamp is a great place. It's a, it's a, it's, I mean, you talk about hostile environment, it doesn't get more hostile than that place. So, so we're going to continue talking about college football, including a lot of teams in the top ten struggling mightily this weekend, including Clemson and Oklahoma. Will there be a shake-up? As the season progresses, you are listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes after these messages. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll and Alex Houston. We're talking college football for this segment, and then we'll move on to pro football from over the weekend. Uh, I know we have a lot to talk about there, including the Washington football team win on Thursday night and the Carolina Panthers win on Sunday, as well as that absolutely insane Sunday night game where Lamar Jackson gets his first win over the Kansas City Chiefs, but that is all for later in the show. We got some college football to talk about, including Nebraska traveling to Norman, Oklahoma, to reinstill the Big Eight rivalry of on the 50th anniversary, maybe 40th anniversary of the game of the century, as it were, between Nebraska and Oklahoma. Obviously, those two programs are in very different locations um, on the college football landscape now. Uh, to the point that Fox would rather show regular season baseball in the primetime slot and punt these guys to 11 a.m. local time. But Nebraska was not discouraged by that and put up quite the fight against the Oklahoma Sooners, only losing by seven in a game where Oklahoma was favored by over three touchdowns. Did you guys uh, catch this? Did you guys check this out? I was not. I mean, I did not catch the game itself, but, I mean, it is Oklahoma, and they found a way to look horrible this year. So, like, I, w- I mean, I've been against over Nebraska, so I will say I was very surprised that Scott Frost found a way to not lose by a lot. So good for him. But, I mean, Oklahoma, you know, sure they did beat West Carolina 76-0, to but they also barely beat Tulane. Is this the best thing that Scott Frost has done for his job security in the past like year and a half? Is, yeah, is lose a game, but 
I mean, not it, that bad. It very well might be because they've currently got Michigan State, Northwestern, and Michigan on the slate. They're going to go one and two in that at least. They're not going to beat Michigan State, and they're not going to beat Michigan. So having a, hey, I didn't lose that badly. In fact, we didn't get embarrassed on a game some people were sleeping during. What I'm looking at right now, Nebraska's not going to make a bowl game. Like well, no. Like, no. No, like, like, no, like, even if they had, they don't have enough cupcakes on their schedule to even win. The, like, they have Michigan State, Mi- Northwestern, Michigan, Minnesota at Minnesota, Purdue. Then they finish out with Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And that's something uh, I know Bay and Jacob talked about on the scoreboard is that if if there are enough holes in the ship come before that three game stretch, they might just go ahead and fire Frost and get it out of the way before he has to play those. I three mean, teams. legitimately, they might they might get. They might have 70 put on when they go to Camp Randall on November 20th. And not to mention, Iowa is very likely going to be visiting Memorial Stadium with, I mean, they could very well be 9-2. and Their only, they're only games that I think Iowa's going to lose are Penn State and Wisconsin, but Penn State is at Kinnick Stadium. I think best case for Nebraska at this point is 4-8. and eight. Yeah. Well, the best case would be 5-7 and seven winning Northwestern, Minnesota, and Purdue. I don't think they can. But... That's certainly the best case scenario. I just don't think there's much of a chance of that because I don't think I mean of those teams they're going to beat Northwestern and Minnesota's very all over the place right now, so they could beat Minnesota, but I don't know if they beat Minnesota on the road and then Purdue again is also Purdue. So just a very interesting and man, the Big 12 is ouch. Or Big 10, excuse me, not Big 12. But uh, another team that struggled mightily over the weekend was the Clemson Tigers, number six in the land. DJ Ugalale is, is my attempt at that. Um, he and the entire Clemson offense struggled against a pretty hapless Georgia Tech team. They only put up two touchdowns, and it appears Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech got stifled on offense I think they only got two field goals maybe a safety I guess that's how you put up five in the fourth quarter um but George Clemson only wins that one by six against a bottom tier ACC program in Georgia Tech so offense continues to be a problem for Clemson as their schedule is going to be getting interesting as well as they have to travel to NC State which is a semi-difficult game. However, they are at home against Boston College and at Syracuse, two very winnable games. And then they have to travel to Pittsburgh, which we all know is a very difficult environment to play in. But as far as I'm concerned, Clemson can, as bad as they are, really ride out this. They have a very easy schedule. Extremely. After Pittsburgh, they have Florida State, which we don't even have to get to. Louisville, which showed promise on Friday night, but I don't think it's a very good program. UConn, one of the worst teams possibly ever. Um, Wake Forest, which uh, made Florida State look bad. And then you have at South Carolina to end out the season, which they're still starting a grad student at quarterback. Yeah, and I would say even with Pitt, Pitt just lost at home to Western Michigan. So even that, and again, you know, the, the Pitt magic, you know, Knows yeah. no bounds. They can be five and seven and still beat a, a top ranked team. That's what so, they do. But yeah. Clemson has an absolute joke yeah. of a schedule this year. I will say, if they're undefeated and they finish out this season not with very dominating wins, not Georgia Tech like where they only win by six, but you know, if they don't look good, do you leave them out of the playoff? Well, they still have to go to the ACC championship. True, but to play who? Um, 
presumably Virginia Tech or North Carolina. Which North Carolina could be good. They have Let's a good go Hokies. But Virginia Tech also just lost to West Virginia. That's so. true. They did. They did losing to a West Virginia team that was I honestly did not expect to even win that game, despite the fact that it was at home. But so. I mean, at this point, I don't like Clemson against either Virginia Tech or North Carolina. Though I mean, when you can only put up fourteen against Tech. Yeah, I I don't know. I I'm just I. It's very interesting to see what they'll do because. Right now, we're looking at a um, a playoff with a number of undefeated teams that could be left out. We could have a left out Clemson. We could have a left out Notre Dame. You know, you could end up having you're, you. You very likely are going to end up with a left out Coastal Carolina that could be undefeated. A left out Cincinnati, possibly depending Notre Dame or Cincinnati. One of those teams I think will go undefeated. So it's just it's going to be a very interesting year for the playoff. And this is the last year before it's expanded, right? Like they ex- they expanded for next year. This I do not know. I'm not. I'm not. I, a scholar. I shall. I shall Google. But we can hop on over to the Pac-12. Speaking of the playoff, um, are they are they on the outs? Does Oregon make it? Because no. UCLA is, has has been dashed, and ah. USC has been dashed, and Arizona State also lost. So the only undefeated team left in the Pac-12, and the only way for a Pac-12 team to get to the playoff is to remain undefeated. Uh, at this point, is Oregon. Now, Oregon, who did not look good against Fresno State, although maybe Fresno's just good because they went in and uh, won in the Rose Bowl, and then they defeated or Ohio State, obviously. But um, this team also has a pretty easy schedule, I mean, considering they play in the Pac-12. So if Oregon gets to the – an undefeated Oregon, can you hold them out of the playoff? I don't think you hold them out. Um, I think they got that signature win against Ohio State. I think, State. yeah, That's that, that win against Ohio State is. They will have something that Clemson will not. They will have something that Notre Dame will not, or se- seemingly Cincinnati will not. So I don't know how you do unless Georgia and Alabama both finish undefeated and the SC championship is decided by three points, in which case then you've got the problem of Alabama, Georgia, possibly an Iowa, or an Ohio State that runs the table following the Oregon defeat. Then again, how do you leave Oregon out and Ohio State in is an important question. I don't think Ohio State should get in anyway, but it's going to be, again, just a very interesting road to the playoff with a lot of teams that could go undefeated and a lot of teams that could pose a lot of questions for, you know, what do you do? So, Okay. Is that going to do it for college football? I was just looking up what hokey means. I think it's a turkey. It is a turkey. But also, the apparently they used to be called the gobblers, and one of the reasons they think they were called that is because their student athletes gobbled up food. That's from the Virginia Tech website. That oh sounds my. not true. <laughs> it says it right here. One story claims it resulted from the way students athlete, athletes would gobble up their food. Citation? Virginia Tech Traditions webpage. Their act, the school webpage. Okay. Well, if I've learned anything from an Auburn University campus tour, it's that universities aren't exactly truthful in the stories they tell to recruits. I had some guy. I heard some guy. He was giving a little tour to the parents, and he was just being like, "Yeah, come to your study." But actually, I don't study at all. I'm really bad at studying. He was just being really. He was just laying it out there. He was. He was being like a cool anti-hero for the <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> Yeah, so just k- taking a look at the college football landscape before we move on to professional football on the other side of this break. The SEC West continues to be uh, the division to beat as 
five of its seven teams are currently ranked in the top 25. That's Alabama at number one, Texas A&M at number seven, Ole Miss at number 13, Arkansas at number 16, and Auburn at number 23. So four of the seven obviously blows out any other division in, I think, uh, yeah, no one else even has two except for the SEC East. So there you go. Start, Heck yeah. Start the chant, if you will. Can we, hey, can we start a petition to drop Texas A&M out of the top ten? Well, they haven't lost yet, Alex. Uh, you silly kid. What the? Kid. What? <laughs> silly Alex. Tricks are for kid. Whatever. Alex, look, they haven't <laughs> lost yet. Get over it. Just wait for Auburn to beat them. When do you think they're going to lose next? Whenever Auburn. they play Alabama. When did they play Alabama? I'm looking. I'm also looking. Do they play Alabama before or after Auburn? Arkansas and Mississippi State. Do you think they'll beat Arkansas? No. Is it well? Is it in? No. It's at Fayetteville. No. They're not going to beat Arkansas. They're not going to beat Alabama. They're not going to beat. Might be a neutral site game. Let me check. Why would it be neutral? It's AT and T. Yeah. They play oh, in- that's right. They do it at AT and T. Boo. As as I saw on Twitter after the Auburn Penn State game, let us ban neutral site games that are not traditionally neutral site games. Like. I don't think this one was either. I just think neither of them wants to play at College Station or Fayetteville because there's nothing in either of those places. Wow. Okay. Am I wrong? So does A&M beat Arkansas next weekend? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I'll say no either. The die has been cast. That is a game that Arkansas has historically performed very well in but has never won. True. They, they always, it's a uh, new era, though. They always kind of take A&M to the wire but end up blowing it somehow. So. Well, we'll and it was taken to the wire by Kent State. It's so. the year. This is the year. All right, we're going to head to a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to be talking the NFL as it was an exciting weekend of NFL football across the country. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, WeGLFM.com, and Eagle Eye TV. Thank you. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WETL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll and Alex Houston. We're going to talk about some NFL football. We're going to jump right into it with your scoreboard. Alex has to get out of here in a minute, so we will let him talk about his beloved nah, you don't have to. Washington football team. But uh, quickly, we're going to do the NFL scoreboard. All right, <laughs> now we're going to do the NFL scoreboard. For some reason, it has the Monday night game for this week listed. Uh, never mind. All right, on Thursday, it was the Washington football team getting a victory finally over the New York Giants, 30-29. to On Sunday, it was the Joe Burrow show as he throws two touchdowns and two interceptions against the Bears, but the Bears win that one 20-17. 
out in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield gets hurt. So does Tyrod Taylor. But the Browns come out victorious 31-21 to in Indianapolis. The Rams are victorious over the Colts 27-24. to Tua goes down in South Beach, and the Bills run away with that one 35 to nothing. The Bills win that one. Mac Jones gets his first win as a Patriot as they blow out the Jets 25-6. Defensive struggle in the link as the 49ers come out victorious over Jalen Hurts and the Eagles 17-11. The surprising Las Vegas Raiders and Derek Carr beat the Steelers in Hines 26-17. Derek Carr 28-37 for two tutties in that one. It was a stifling defensive effort for Carolina as they sack Jameis Winston and come over a big upset win in Carolina, 26-7 over the Saints. Trevor Lawrence drops to 0-2 in his NFL career, and Teddy Bridgewater goes 2-0 as the Broncos are 23-13 victors over the Jags in Jacksonville. Cardinals, one-point victory over the Vikes, 34-31. Kyler Murray, 400 yards passing and three touchdowns. Buccaneers put on an offensive show as they blow out the Falcons, 48-25. Cowboys get a W against the Chargers, 20-17. Titans and Seahawks go to overtime. Derrick Henry scores three touchdowns, and the Titans come away victorious, 33-30 over Pete Carroll's Seahawks. And on Sunday Night Football, NBC, your game of the week, an unbelievable performance as Lamar Jackson and the Ravens come away victorious, 36-35 over Patrick Mahomes and those Kansas City Chiefs. All right, takeaways from this NFL week. I think this NFL season is shaping up to be awesome. I agree. The Broncos could very well become the worst 3-0 and team of all time next week as they take on the Jets, which means their three opponents to open the season will be the New York Giants, who have one winning season since 2013 and whose owner decided taunting is bad. And then also, they'll have beaten the Jacksonville Jaguars, who look awful, but it's Urban Meyer, what do we expect? And then the New York Jets, who, wow. They're bad, like really bad. Like, Zach Wilson throws two passes for two interceptions to start the game bad. Yes, yes. More like it was off the receiver's hands. At least I didn't see the clues, but that's what people said. I didn't. I don't. One of them was. Okay, the other well. three was his fault. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, and even the one that was off Corey Davis's hands was a little high anyway. Oh, that's unfortunate. Zach Wilson oh. goes 19 for 33, 210 yards, and four yeah. interceptions as the Patriots run away with that one. So the Broncos could be 3-0 and when they head to Baltimore to take on – the Ravens, and I believe that game will be. Let me no, don't add that. That game will be uh, a Sunday three twenty five game. But then they have the Ravens, Steelers, Raiders, and Browns. They could end up being three and four by week seven. Difficult to say though. But yeah, I think that's crazy. It's just been a fun year. Um, hopefully, nothing too serious with Tua because I know Miami fans are tired of that and that being pain. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Taylor Heineke has the most completions of any quarterback in their first three games ever, so that's pretty exciting. Former wow. Panther Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke threw 46 passes on Thursday night. Yes, yes, he has the most completions of any quarterback in their first three starts, like ever, in the history of I like Taylor Heineke. And, hey, we're no longer 0-5 against – or yeah, we're no longer winless against Daniel Jones. That was pretty much the highlight of my life, was finally getting a win, even though he still looked like Joe Montana. 
fumble master Daniel Jones. He didn't fumble it because they can get any pressure. But, yeah, uh, it's an exciting year. Um, how about Jameis turning back into Jameis uh, against the Panthers? That was hilarious. The Panthers' defense was just yeah, all he didn't, over Yeah, he didn't him. have much of a choice. Either the offensive play calling or his line was giving him absolutely no help. You want to hear some say, fun though, facts he, about the Panthers' defense? Uh, go ahead. Panthers currently lead the league in yards allowed per game, points per allowed per game, passing yards allowed per game, rushing yards allowed per game, sacks, QB hits, and defensive third down percentage. Oh, wow. Uh, Chris was also telling me that that was the first time the Saints have been held under some, some amount of points for the second time ever, or the first time ever under Sean Payton, first time since before 2011. Wow. Um, and then... Also, Alvin Kamara in that game, I think he caught four passes for 25 yards. He rushed eight times for five yards. Good. That is unfortunate. This, this defensive line for the Panthers is looking good. This Brian is what Burt, when you da- Brian Burns, Derek Brown. Brian Brown. Burns, Derek Brown. Unbelievable performance by those guys. I will say, what I saw on the in the brief clips, Jameis made it pretty easy. His two interceptions were hilarious. They were, one yeah. of them, he, he goes falling down and just launches it. The other one... He's got his check down receiver 10 yards in front of him and throws it, and it goes 30 yards in the air into the arms of a waiting Panthers I will say defender, to defend Jameis a little bit, both of those were in end-of-half situations. One was garbage time, one was to end the first half. But the offense did not look good for yeah. for uh, for New Orleans at all. Which Especially begs, begs a lot of questions about Green Bay yes, after a stifling performance in Jacksonville last yeah. weekend. Definitely. And speaking um, of Jacksonville and unbelievable performances, Trevor Lawrence goes 14 of 33 for 118 yards and two interceptions, one touchdown in that game against the Broncos. So, I mean, obviously one guy is not going to fix your team, but are we disappointed in Trevor's performance so far? 57.1 QBR or passer rating through his first two games. Which, yeah, that that is a lot different from QBR and that is yeah. a lot worse. Because you can go up to 156 with a quarterback rating, so uh, for for reference. But I'm more concerned with 33 passing attempts uh, when you have James Robinson, a proven running back. Yeah, he went 11 carries for 47 yards. Only yeah, only 16 carries is is alarming to me. Again, I'm not saying you know this is the modern NFL. You can't rely on running backs necessarily, but 33 passing attempts for your rookie quarterback with a bad offensive line and bad wide receivers is bold to me. How do we feel about the Las Vegas Raiders 2-0 and taking down the, a great team in the Ravens and a team the jury's still out on in the Steelers? Could this be the Raiders' year to challenge the Chiefs in the West, considering how well Derek Carr has been playing? He went the Steelers 20- really, I watched most of that game. The Steelers really didn't look like anything at all. Derek Just- Carr threw for almost 400 yards on Sunday. So... I don't know. I mean, Gr- I've, I've always liked Derek Carr. Gruden's coaching for his job, and as is Carr, essentially, because Carr has Carr's is was reaching a Matt Stafford point where you know a few good years with wins, but every other year it was you were decent and your team was not very good. And most teams do not do it like the Lions and keep Stafford around for years. They cut him loose, tank, and get a new quarterback. So Carr and Gruden and Mayock, for that matter, all really right now doing it for their job because Mark Davis is not as um, trigger happy as Al Davis was, but he can be. And um, I think that was certainly Mark Davis exactly what they need. Notoriously has the worst haircut in the NFL. 
And that's a hotly contested race. That's true with, with John own Gruden's own with John Gruden's own as a as a Mark Davis is way worse than John oh. Gruden's. And now I get you, but I was talking about the race. There's quite a few selections, John Gruden included some. Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown's Lego haircut. Hey, hey, there. that was that was genius. I don't know what you're talking about. Genius. All right, <laughs> continuing our discussion. The biggest headline I think on Sunday was the injuries to quarterbacks. Yeah, and with a certain certain individual who may or may not have a statue. Uh, about 40 yards from this spot, waiting in the wings. That 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 can't be ignored. Oh, Alex didn't know who you were talking about. Oh, for some reason. I because you had you had Tyrod Taylor. You had Pat Sullivan. When you led with statue, come I, on, man. When you led, with, so I, w- I, I yeah, sorry. So yeah, Tyrod goes down. Baker Mayfield goes down. Oh, Derek Jackson? Carr, uh, not out for good, but he did have a little scare. Um, there was a lot of quarterback woes today or yesterday in the NFL. So what does that mean for uh one Mr. Cam Newton? I still doubt he's gonna get picked up. Do you think he can learn the Texans offense in three days and beat his former team on Thursday night football? I don't think any team's gonna pick him up. I think the likeliest landing spot for him is a team that already has an offense molded to his skill set, which most teams do not. The Patriots. No. Oh. Um a team like the Ravens or uh, the Eagles, who run an offense that's more suited for Cam, rather than a lot of other teams. Just I, I like because the simple fact is you're not you're not getting Cam to throw 33 times like Trevor Lawrence, and even Trevor Lawrence can't do that. Evidently, mm-hmm. um, a, as seen with the Patriots, it's going to be a more running with the quarterback style offense. With most teams, don't run like even Ron Rivera, who formerly ran that offense, did not pick him up. So any team that has a quarterback that's still trying to prove themselves, I don't, I don't see exactly. them signing Cam. I could see the Bills maybe sign him as a backup since Sean McDermott is the head coach. True, but they already have Trubisky, who impressed in which is a oh, bizarre yeah, thing. Oh yeah, Trubisky. He looked Tyrod Taylor still trying to prove himself. Yeah, um, in the but process. I mean, like, yeah. But like, he's not like a rookie quarterback that if he messes up, people are gonna be like, put Cam in. You okay. could either have Tyrod, you could have Cam. And if they play bad, since not someone's not going to be like put the other one in. I don't think the Texans are going to get him because I think the Texans are trying to make it out of this season with as little controversy and news <laughs> as possible after the already chaos that is whatever the heck is going on with Deshaun Watson. And um, yeah, unless a quarterback really gets hurt, like rest of the season hurt, I don't think Cam's going to see a signing anytime like soon. Like sadly, if, if Heineke also gets hurt. And then Kyle Allen gets hurt, then maybe Washington see, would go for Cam. Maybe but, Washington, maybe the Lions, if they give up on golf halfway through the season. But I just think it's it's going to be a team that I, I mean I don't know because Cam can, is Cam one of those is Cam a Fitzpatrick or the Colts and win? I can see the Colts. That's true, but I think they're trying to stick with Wentz. Carson Wentz injury prone. Carson Wentz. Wentz might have. Even gotten injured yesterday. With Jacoby, is Jacoby Brissett still the backup? I don't there? even know. Jacoby Brissett. There. I like Jacoby. Uh, Brissett. Oh, it was Jacob Eason of G- Georgia and Washington I can't remember Huskies. It, it was either thing. Jacoby Brissett or Scott Tolzien that w- came in for the Dolphins. Um, yeah, I it was s- Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. yeah, Tolzien better not be playing. Scott Tolzien. I haven't heard that name in a while. <laughs> It, former, former NC, NC yeah. State legends, and he hasn't it, played since 2017. Wasn't okay. he? All, wasn't he also at Did Wisconsin? Brissett play at NC State? No, he played at uh, wait, Florida. Wait, I'll give you all a guess. Don't wait. look it up, Alex. I have it right here. Wait, I need a hint. It is NC State. Okay. Oh, yeah. what legendary NC State quarterback? NC State's QBU. 
That's all I gotta say. I like Jacob Brissett was you remember when it was him? Oh, he played first in Florida, then transferred. That's what I was getting mixed Garoppolo, up. him, and Tom Brady on the Patriots. And then the Patriots ended up with Mac Jones because Belichick Brady. handled that about as well as he possibly could have. All right, well, we have got to go to a break and we've got to say goodbye to Alex, unfortunately. But on the other side of this break, me and Davis are gonna talk about Monday night football as it is the Packers and the Lions. The Packers, some people's Super Bowl favorite, are going to have to avoid falling into an 0-2 hole if they can't hold off this stifling offense from the Detroit Lions. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll. We're talking Monday night football as it is Monday. And soon enough, it'll be the Detroit Lions traveling to Lambeau to take on the Green Bay Packers tonight, 7.15 p.m. Central on ESPN. Green Bay's favored by 11.5 in this one, despite a disappointing performance against the New Orleans Saints last week. Detroit with a, of course, that crazy loss to the 49ers in which they nearly completed a historic comeback. So potent offense on Detroit and a disappointing offense so far on Green Bay. All right, of course, we want to remind you that if you want to get your opinion on the show, you can do so. You can call in at 334-844-9345 or you can tweet at me at cdiscau at cdiscau and we will get to your inquiry post haste all right let's jump right into this game coming up tonight in lambeau field uh not the record we were expecting green bay to have coming into this week and the chance to start a season zero and two which is a deep hole to climb out of do you do you, do you think green bay is going to win davis i think they're going to win but th- i need their offense to be Really good pass. I need Robert Tanya to get a lot of touchdowns and Aaron Jones to not touch the ball at all this evening. That's my goal for the evening. Okay. How's your fan? That's my fan. That's my fantasy team. Um, I mean, I was driving all day yesterday, so I just kind of put it, put it in uh outside of my control. You can't really do much during the day of anyway. I I made the decision to start Joe Burrow over uh Jalen Hurts. I'm losing by 20, but ESPN says I'm favored to win. Oh, because I still have TJ Hawkinson gets to play. Mm. And so if TJ Hawkinson and Aaron Jones can combine for 20 points, I shall win. I'll root for TJ Hawkinson to score 20, but I need Aaron Jones to score nothing. Now, TJ Hawkinson, if he puts on the same performance he did last week, I should win pretty handily. He had eight receptions for 97 yards and a touchdown. Adams had five for 56. So it's, it's kind of hard to look at the stats from from Green Bay last week considering the offense played so poorly uh, in that 38-3 to loss to the Saints. Aaron Rodgers, 15 of 28. 133 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns. So, unbelievable performance by the Packers last week. 
And we're dealing with Jared Goff, who was 38 of 57. He chucked the ball almost 60 times last weekend. He threw for 338 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception of his own. So it will be interesting to see a younger Cal quarterback play an older Cal quarterback on on their new teams now that they're division rivals. You know, is this Aaron Rodgers last year with the Packers? Because they had all the they had the tiff this season or this off season wherever I was like, well, he's going to get traded, and they signed the one year deal, and now he has a say in everything that's going on. Do you want to see Aaron Rodgers leave, try to make a new horizon somewhere else? I'm not sure where else that'd be, but somewhere else. I'd 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 be interested to see. I mean, it'll make things more interesting. And that's where, where else could he go? The Washington Football Team. That's what I think. He could go to the Football Team. He could even go to the Forty ers if they give up on the Trey Lance and Garoppolo experiment. And I mean, that's his hometown team. I think he'd love to go there personally. Grew up as a Niners fan. Interesting. All right. So yeah, I mean, ESPN and I think all the experts are pretty confident in the Packers' ability to win this game. I don't know if that's confidence in Green Bay. Maybe it's wishful thinking on the. Ho- uh, I know. Green Bay was very excited about this season, and it got off to a pretty embarrassing start. But the uh, FPI has a 67% chance for the Packers to win, and Vegas looks to agree as the spread is 11.5 points. Do you think, I mean, we saw how potent that Lions offense can be, but also they scored a majority of their points in kind of garbage desperation time. So I'm wondering if that's going to affect the team in a way considering now that's under the lights in a rivalry game in a in a team that Aaron Rodgers has historically dominated coming into Lambeau Field. Yeah, I see I really see the Packers kind of taking off early and maybe taking their foot off the gas slowly after they get a good lead and then the Lions in Lions fashion, even with Matt, with Matthew Stafford, this is their kind of thing. They just start to make a push near the end, start to make the other teams other teams fans, other teams sweat a little bit. But I think the Packers are going to come out victorious in the end. Okay. With Robert Tony having two touchdowns, I'm calling it. All right. So, have you seen this this video of Aaron Jones wearing a sombrero? I have not. I need you to to take a look at this. It reminds me a lot of. Remember that? Remember when Joe Kelly got ejected, With a mariachi got ejected from the Astros game, um, and he he made all those faces and became pretty legendary, and then he got suspended. And then he disappeared from the face of the earth, and then the next time we all collectively saw him, he was wearing a mariachi outfit. To the White House. Pretty unbelievable. And it seems that Aaron Jones has uh, has joined in the what? party, <laughs> as Eric Jones is now a part of the quote-unquote sombrero gang. Is that what he said? Um, he, is, uh, he has a friendship with Green Bay superfan Senor Cheesehead. <laughs> and it appears that... Aaron Jones's signature hat is going to be making an appearance oh my on Monday Night Football. So, I mean, I'm excited to see this. This is cool. I'm a big fan of yeah, He's DMing him right yeah. now. He's uh, Mar- the Marcos said. Flores, Senor Cheesehead. He's the guy who hooked up Aaron Jones with the sombrero. So It looks good. That's a, that's a pretty sturdy sombrero. It. Oh, there he is. He's wearing his NFC Championship hat over the sombrero. Two hats. Don't know how I feel about that, but I'm pretty excited to see this. I, you know, I like it when there's fun. 
We should get some fun hats for some Auburn games. We should. I like I like when the when the Philadelphia Phillies hit a home run, they they pass around uh, a big straw hat to wear, a home <laughs> run hat. I, I I it adds whimsy. It adds fun, and it it adds an interesting storyline. It, it shows that the players are having fun, and that's like it's enthuse it's it enthuses me to see that, if that makes sense. It, it does make it sense. Makes them it shows more, they're human. It yes, it humanizes them in a way that you just got to remember. Like we're playing a game. We're playing a game. We're celebrating America's pastime, its leisure time, by by playing a game and in front of millions of people. And it it's it's beautiful to see that even in such a it, the media makes it seem so serious and and solemn and it's it's such a staunch thing. And all the head coaches are grumpy and everyone's worried about getting fired. And then. You know, the players are just wearing sombreros. That's why I like Joe Kelly because he's just a regular-looking dude that made fun of the Astros and then wanted to wear a mariachi jacket so he wouldn't ask for it. That's what it's all about. So Just having fun. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe it could be Mariachi Monday next week on Compact Discourse. Interesting. But only time will tell as that is going to just about do it for today's episode. I do want to remind you, of course, Monday Night Football tonight, 7.15 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. It's the Detroit Lions versus the Green Bay Packers. You aren't going to want to miss that one. I'm pretty excited to watch that after I finish my homework tonight. All right, Davis, any any parting shots you have for the lovely people out there? Um, Not really. I can't think of anything in time. All right. I'm witty. I'm, I'm losing it. I've lost all my cognitive function after... Uh, running myself ragged over the weekend, so go get some more coffee. I think that's I think that's where I'm where I'm headed right after this. All right, well that is going to do it for Compact Discourse today. Thank you so much for listening to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL ninety one point one FM. However you joined us today, whether that be from your radio antenna WEGLFM.com or by listening to our podcast, we would like to remind you that of course all of our previous episodes are available as podcast PSA break free wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Compact Discourse. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CDiscAU. That's at C-D-I-S-C-A-U for links to the podcast, information about the show, and important updates. You can also tweet at us and get your opinion on the show. We are Auburn's only student-run morning show. You might want to go ahead and follow the station, W-E-G-L, at W-E-G-L underscore A-U on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok now. Our marketing team is working really hard to give you great content, so go ahead and check it out. As for that, for Jack Hart, Alex Houston, Davis Carroll... We wish you a great rest of your Monday, great week, and we'll talk to you tomorrow with Jacob Hillman and Chris Tobias on another exciting episode of Compact Discourse. That's 8 a.m. tomorrow. As always, this is Jack Hart saying, War Eagle, go 1-0, attack the day, and uh, we'll talk at you tomorrow morning. But I'm trying to see a colorful bird.